the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. It's great to be with you today. And today is Monday, one day before Election Day, where democracy is on the ballot. And uh, a bunch of other things are on the ballot, and I want to talk about that. I don't really think democracy is on the ballot. I think that you're doing democracy. What I want to talk about is doing democracy well. What I want to talk about is, as we just think about Election Day tomorrow, and we'll talk about it a little bit on today's show. We've got some other things coming, but some final thoughts for you and some encouragement. First of all, I want you to vote. And I I want you to vote and don't just fill in bubbles. One of our guests during this election season was somebody running for uh, the school board in Conejo Valley. And Joelle Mancuso was her name. And she said something I thought that was really smart. She said, start voting from the back of your ballot, meaning pay a lot of attention to those small races that you don't really pay a lot of attention to. The school boards and the county board of supervisors and people who are on just smaller, smaller governing teams We have learned something so profound that we should have understood already, but how powerful these people are. And I want to encourage you to, if you haven't voted yet, to take the time to vote well and to ask questions. And we'll be live tomorrow uh, at three o'clock. You can ask some other questions and chime in. I'm going to want to hear how, how it was for you and things like that. But don't just vote D's and R's. Vote for what is right. Vote for what is true. I believe firmly that, and I believe something, and I say this a lot on the show, that 80%, maybe it's closer to 90% on some issues, 80 or 90% of us, if we got rid of the, the D's and R's behind our names, however, our whatever party we're a part of, I think that most of us could actually come together and create solutions for many of our issues. We even believe similar things. And I think especially when it comes to our kids' especially when it comes to what's being taught in schools, especially when it comes to the scores that we have seen in schools, which are terrible. And by the way, yes, the pandemic, it brought down the school store, not, you know, the pandemic didn't bring them down, but the school closures brought down school scores, testing scores. But we need to keep in mind they were coming down already. They've been coming down for decades. And it's time that we stand up and do something about that. And it begins with your vote tomorrow. But it doesn't end there. I guess two things. The first thing I would encourage you to do, my friends, is to participate in the system. I believe that you have a God-given right to do that. And I say that because I firmly believe that the scriptures are right when it talks about God ordaining the governing authorities. Romans chapter 13, Daniel chapter 4. There's so many places about this, okay, that says this. And I believe that we do need to submit to our governing officials, just like Romans tells us to do, uh, except when they tell us not to believe in God and not to obey the Lord, those kinds of things. But I believe that that is a big part of who we are to be once those people are in office. But in our country, we have this 
right to vote, which makes us the governing authorities tomorrow. Does that make sense? That's something that I think matters. And so I do think that it's biblical and right to vote. I think that that shouldn't be done willy-nilly. I think you should pay attention. And there are some things that are serious. Let's talk about Prop 1 for a minute. We've said a lot about this, and there's a lot of back and forth. Proposition 1 does not change, uh, does not mean if you vote no on Proposition 1, it does not mean that abortion is illegal in California. Proposition 1, it's being proposed as something that would simply um, make the current California law constitutional in the California Constitution, our state constitution, that it's just going to take the current law and put it in the state constitution. That's not true. And it's not true in the sense it doesn't provide for any, it does not provide for any restrictions in late-term abortions. That 80 to 90 percent number I gave you, Rasmussen poll now says that 85 percent, recently, just last week, 85 percent of Californians do not agree with late-term abortions, do not think it should be legal. Currently, it's not legal. Current California law today says that after 24 weeks, when the baby is viable, it's about 24 weeks that doctors and people agree it's viable, the child's viable. I know that even 20 weeks, a child has survived, 22 is more often now. That number is getting lower and lower, but 24 is kind of the accepted uh, time frame. You cannot abort except for reasons of life of the mother or other things. And almost everybody agrees with this. The constitutional amendment that you're voting on does not have any exceptions. Now, there are some people, and some of you have written me, and the LA Times wrote an article saying, no, it doesn't change California law. California law is still the law. You know what? I get the nuances of different things, and people can argue. People can argue about those things. But I'll tell you what, that, that there are every... There are legal groups out there who are saying for sure it opens the door to late-term abortions. There's a lot going on. I don't have enough in this segment. I'll talk about it a little bit more later in the show in an interview. One of the things that people talk about is that we're not headed that direction, that that people don't really want to do late-term abortions. And I agree that that generally speaking, that's true. They don't, that even if you're pro-choice, you're probably opposed to that. The surveys say that. And some people talk about the idea that maybe we're headed to a place where we would have afterbirth abortion is what it's called. Okay. By the way, afterbirth abortion is a term that was not invented by pro-lifers. It was invented by pro-choicers. And the idea that if a baby is born and the baby has Down syndrome and you didn't know it, that you can kill it. Or if the baby is born, but your financial circumstances have changed, you can go ahead and terminate the baby's life up to a certain amount of time which is a uh, interesting thing. Like how long? 10 minutes, 10 days, 30 days, two years? How long uh, can you still terminate the life of your child? And people, when they hear somebody say that, they think, well, that's crazy. Who would want to do that? Who's going to admit that? Who's going to say, oh, yeah, we can do that? Let me, let me just make this really clear. And you can go look it up. I will send you the link if you want to see it. There are legitimate writings in medical journals, the Journal of Medical Ethics, for example, where two people who invented the term afterbirth abortion, okay, Albert uh, Guibellini and Francesca Minerva, and they aren't the first to say this, okay? There have been plenty of philosophers over the last several decades with abortions who have proposed that it's okay to kill a child even after it's born for the very same reason, the very same reason that children that young are dependent on someone else for their life. They can't just survive. When you have the baby, you still have to feed the baby. You still have to clothe the baby. You still have to clean the baby. Baby will not survive on its own. And you either have to take care of it as the parent, or you have to give that child to somebody who will, but somebody is bound to that child. Otherwise, the child will die. 
And some people have gone as far to say is that nobody should be forced to be inconvenienced by the life of a child. And if you're saying, yeah, but people wouldn't really do that. This is in the Journal of Medical Ethics. When circumstances occur after birth, I'm quoting here, that they would have justified abortion, whether we call afterbirth abortion should be, what we call afterbirth abortion should be permissible. We call this, we propose to call this practice afterbirth abortion rather than infanticide to emphasize that the moral status of the individual killed is comparable with that of a fetus rather than that of a child. This is not coming from some crazy left-wing blog or somebody on social media. This is coming from the scientific medical community. Now, most people, even pro-choice people, think this is crazy. You wouldn't do it. But what I'm telling you is that the direction of our society is things like this. And maybe there's nobody today who would actually do it. Although I would say that there are. There are things going on in our state, laws being passed that are taking away the ability to investigate what might happen in the death of a newborn infant. Do you realize this? This has been passed. This is California law now. Why are they doing that? I'm telling you, this is a serious issue. It is for real. It's not crazy. There are some things that I think some people, uh, you know, pro-life people have said that's not really accurate. And I think it's important that we get as accurate as possible. And that's something we try to do on the show. But my friends, do not think that this notion that we're headed to a place where people will take the life of babies that are actually born, we're headed there. It's being written about. It's being proposed by the people who make these sort of ethical decisions. And right here in this article, they're even saying, we're not going to call it infanticide. We're going to call it afterbirth abortion. See, that's what happens is that when we want to do something that's incredibly immoral, incredibly terrible, we just change the term. We change the circumstances around how we describe it. So, my friends, I'm asking you to vote no on Proposition 1 and to do that this time. There's other things on your ballot that matter. The propositions that are about gambling, vote no. They're not going to help the schools. They're not going to, it's 26 and 27. They're not going to help the schools. They're not going to help. Um, they're not going to help mental health. They're not going to help the homeless. They're going to cause tremendous, horrific gambling addictions in our state. That's what they're going to lead to. And it's pretty terrible uh, what those things are going to do. And later on, we'll have Andy Bales on who will give his opinion. He is the CEO of the uh, rescue mission. And, you know, you would think that, oh, maybe he's for it because it's going to help the homeless people. It's not. There are people who do these things all the time when they write these laws. What it's really about is allowing corporations coming into California that do online gambling. So you can just gamble on sports on your phone. That's really who the beneficiaries are. That's really who are, is going to benefit from yes. And then I'd like you to take a look at your school boards. The things that are going on in class, particularly in the area of the sexualization of kids, this is not just happening in some weird neighborhood in San Francisco. This is not just happening in some hidden left-wing alley in the city of New York. It's happening in the suburbs right here in Southern California. It's happening in conservative, supposedly, states like Texas, Florida, all around. 
in-class instruction on for seventh graders, which we've had the we have I have in my hands the classroom curriculum that instructs seventh graders on why they should experiment in just about every sex act there is, which, by the way, is not safe. It's not emotionally safe. It's not physically safe. It is horrific. And do not think it's just happening somewhere else. It's happening in your school district. This is why we start at the back of our ballots. And we Google those people. We find out who they are. What do they stand for? Who are running for school boards? I personally think that the school board elections and the number of people who are in the back of your ballot, some of those are the most important people on the ballot. I think they might have more impact on the future for our kids and for our state and for our country than even people you're voting for for Congress or for governor. I really believe that. And I'm imploring you to vote wisely. And that, and I believe, I, I firmly believe that most of us listening, 80, 90%, whatever your political party, whatever your political leanings are, I believe that we agree that certain things should not be taught in, in schools at a young age especially. We might disagree on at what point they should be taught. We might disagree on the, what adults ought to do. There's some place. But I think most of us agree well, 80 to 90 percent, according to polls, disagree with late-term abortions. I think that 80 to 90 percent of us agree that children should not be having shows with drag queens. Most drag queens, in fact, agree with that. Your vote is one way to deal with it. The last thing I want to say regarding this is that on Wednesday, when the election is over, or when they're still counting, wherever that's going to go on, don't just let it go. Don't think to yourself, hey, well, that's over with, and then stop caring for two more years. And then in two more years, we're asking the same questions and wondering why things aren't better. We have to keep the pressure on. And I believe we can do that together. All the division and stuff in our country, I don't think the people are that divided. I think that on every issue, the people are mostly unified. I think we have just been distracted Half of us haven't been participating in voting. And a lot of us who vote, we don't really pay attention. We just vote D's and R's. Let's stop doing that together. And I think that you'll find that most Americans agree. And as Christians, I think that we are called by God to pay attention and to vote. I think that we are called to participate. I think we're called to care about the oppressed and find out why that's really happening. Why? Is homelessness growing? Why is crime expanding? Why are the schools doing poorly? Why are some schools doing incredibly worse than others? There are reasons for that that are tangible. There are reasons for that that I think when we look at it, we mostly agree, actually. And we can reject the philosophies such as harm reduction, the philosophies that have led to an education system that is more interested in graduation than education. Oh, the graduation numbers are down. You know what we should do is not teach it better. What we should do is lower our standards. Oh, 20% more people pass their classes. Well, that's because you made the test 50% less important. I mean, it's just stupid. I think most of us agree. That's on your ballot. We'll talk about that more. That's coming from my heart since Election Day is tomorrow. We won't get to talk about it in, in detail again before tomorrow, but I wanted you to know that. 
I love you. Thanks for being a part of the show. You can respond. You can email me always at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. And I also want to remind you... You can join me live online tomorrow for results for the election Facebook uh, group called the Ferocious Election Day Special. I've been doing this for years. It's been on Facebook since 2010. I think maybe before that they didn't have groups before that. And even before there was a Facebook, I was doing this. It's nonpartisan. If you're left or right, just love to have you. My goal is to give you results, to give you an understanding of the system, how things are working and to beat TV, to tell you who won before the TV tells you who won. That's what we're going to do together. Ferocious Election Day Special. F-U-R-R-O-W-C-I-O-U-S dot com, ferocious dot com. You can join today. All right. We'll take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Monday edition of SoCal Live continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. Great to be with you today. We're on every day from 3 to 5. And with me today is a special guest, a pastor who has a brand new program on KKLA in Los Angeles. It's called The Way of Truth with Matthew Pollock. It's Saturday at 8.30 p.m. and Sunday at 3 p.m. Is it 8.30 p.m. or a.m.? 8.30 8.30 p.m. 8.30 p.m. That's in the evening on Saturdays and Sunday at 3 p.m. Would you welcome Pastor Matthew Pollock? Hello, Scott. It's so good to be with you live and in studio, seeing you face to face. Great to have you here. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming up. You're in uh, Marietta. Your church is called the Way Family Church. That's right. In Marietta. How long have you been the pastor there? We just celebrated last week 14 years. 14 years. My wife and I and our young four children, Kamikaze, started that church from scratch. And you here started we are. it Kamikaze style. That's it. Does that mean that you just that, had no other support? You just came That means it? it's real, raw, authentic, and if it's not a God... It's a bust. <laughs> okay, all right, I get that. Yeah, so, you know, some people they have a lot of stuff behind them, and they're yeah. We you know, didn't. Yeah. We didn't, and I think that maybe forges out some health and purities and things like that. I wouldn't change our story for anything, though. Sometimes you can look at other people's story and think that that's so much easier, but. Uh, we did. We started with our four children, and here we yeah. are 14 years later, and God has been so faithful and so gracious. Well, that's awesome. Tell us about yourself. So uh, you've, you're married, and you have four kids. How old are your kids? Yeah, if everyone could see the studio now, we're kind of surrounded by my family. Thank you for letting us all in, Scott. I feel oh. like we're family here today. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. It's good to see my everybody wife, in here. My beautiful wife, Abby, her and I have been married now about 22 years. We have four children. Our oldest son, Talon, now is married, and he's a vital part of our ministry, and our other three children are as well, Caleb, Hope, and Brooke. And um, I was born and raised in San Juan Capistrano in Orange County. All right. And my family moved out uh, as a young child to that Temecula area and just, uh, you know, navigated life there. I was a part of a great Bible-based church and just a great mother and father and had all those ingredients in my life and went upon that journey. Then about the age of 19 is where I feel like I had my defining moment. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I think that a lot of people, you know, if they grew up, did you grow up in church at all? I did. I was privileged too. And I would just say, you know, anyone listening to us, Church is a vital part, and one of the best things parents can do, I think, is just get their children in that soil of God's Word and of community. I was a product of a local church. I think that that matters a lot. But you said you had a defining moment at 19, something that I think is true for all of our kids. It's true for everybody is you can't just have your parents' faith. It's got to become yours at some point. So, so true. So in your in your walk of faith, you grew up San Juan Capistrano and you moved out to uh, Temecula area. Uh, 19 years old, what's going on with you? Just graduating high school, and the reality of life hits. Yeah. And you begin to, as a man, what am I going to do? 
what distinction do I have? How am I going to find my identity in life and support and make money and all that? And um, so, so with all those realities there, um, I was just so thankful and fortunate and I, to have what I would say just a genuine, real encounter where that faith went from my pastor or my parents to me. Mm. And I felt like, you know, I encountered the Lord in a real, authentic way. And when I found out how sweet and beautiful and amazing Jesus is, I wanted to serve him the rest of my life. And so at 19, I made some clear-cut decisions that my old life is different now, and I'm on a journey with him. I don't know what he has for me, but I want to explore his grace and glory in my life. So you dedicated your life to Christ personally at 19. I would say so. I mean, I had great parents, and I can remember my father leading me in the what we would call the right. sinner's prayer at about yeah. the age of nine years old. So you in, might have been a Christian, prayers. but at 19... Is when it really yeah. just became became rock solid. And I guess we could just say, Scott, like, you know, now that I'm my wife and I are parents of teenagers, you do want your children to find the Lord themselves in that powerful yes. way. And I just want to say there is that. He's still, man, he intervenes, and he is working in our world to capture people's hearts. And when he gets a hold of you, it's it's hard to let that go. And I think for so many times we maybe haven't had our own encounter, our own real, you know, heavenly visitation. You know, yeah. when, when, when an angel came to Mary, you know, she can't shake. That's a real thing. And I had that. And that is available. And God does want to become real and authentic to people. And for me at 19, Scott, it didn't matter my friends or where I was going. I was in. And I've been in pursuit, and I felt the next step for me was Bible college, and you know the rest is somewhat history. But um, that was kind of the bedrock moment of yeah. my faith that that propelled me onward. I think there is a call of God. You know, there's a call of salvation. He's calling people, sure. but then there's within that call, there's callings. There's something specific that God has made you to do. Absolutely, I think that's true for everybody. I think there's a mistake that people make when they talk about the call of a pastor. You know, our, our church is going to call a pastor as, as a lot of the language, and that's true and it's fine. But everybody who's going to church is called by God to do something. That's exactly right. I think we forget that. We act like uh, sometimes I think we think it's just the pastor, you know, or just the church leaders. And, you know, an interesting thing is God didn't invite us to, you know, ask us to invite people to our buildings. He told the church to go out and make disciples. Yeah, that's right. And that has to do with our call. You You talked about, you know, you hope that, your kids and your kids are in the room, so maybe this is a hard question. But as a parent, as a dad, uh, and you've been married twenty-one years, what are some of your biggest concerns about your kids or your kids' generation? It's, this is a weird time. It's different. The world is not the same as it was twenty-one years ago. It's the truth. I mean, we could just sit there and just almost scratch our heads and talk about that forever. How much the world is changing and evolving, and what's going on—the voice, the, the various voices, and all the various distractions. I just, I, I, we have just endeavored, um, Scott, to be strategic and to be a part of our children's lives in every season of life. Yeah. Now, what does that mean in your yeah, case? Like if you're if you're advising to, parents listening, how yeah. they might say, "How am I going to be strategic with yeah, my kids?" Because to me, relationship is everything, hmm. and I, as a parent, have to be strategic to be present and involved in the midst of their distraction, in the midst of their pull. I have to be engaged as a parent. My responsibility is to be their parent. You know, I'll be honest, Scott, one of the first things that I ever felt impressed by the Spirit of God, I have it written in all of my Bibles, that I live by. It's been my mantra. It's been my checks and balance. It's kind of been my, my conviction. Is I felt the Lord tell me 
that in whatever I do, don't neglect the ones he's given me. And I think parents need to realize what they have before them is God has entrusted you a responsibility, mm. not to be perfect, but to do our best to be involved and engaged in their life. So what my wife and I have endeavored to do is to be strategic parents, to be present, available, we're praying for you. I still, to this day, and this may be funny, I want to be the one that drives and, or picks up the kids from school or from church. I want to be there. I can do that, and I have a, a schedule that allows me to do that. Mm. But I would just encourage parents, because everything in the world is trying to distract them and pull them from home, from family, from what's right. You be the voice. You be the encouragement. You tell your daughters you love them. You tell your sons affirm them. Let's get that back to our responsibility to steward those kids in the right manner. And I've always thought that rules without relationship create rebellion. I think sometimes we just go so rule-based, but relationship will then evolve an ability to mentor and to teach our children. And if I live it, and if I walk it, they'll hear what I have to say. And that right now in our society, I think the demand and pressure is reducing intimate relationship. That's what we're missing. The table. Get back to the table. Get back to conversation. Get so that back. would be a specific thing is at the table. There's a survey that came out recently that talked about families that eat together, at least one meal, mm. are much happier. Mm. Uh, and you talk more about stuff yeah. just because you're sitting there. Yeah. And you have to, you know, I think a new challenge for that wasn't a challenge for us 20 years ago that's a challenge for parents now is the cell phone because you might be eating at the same table together, right? but everyone's got their phone right. and everyone's looking at another screen or maybe you're watching a movie together, except that what you're really doing is you're all watching your own screen and nobody's together. That's right. How do you, how do you avoid that? I think in life we can, there's a lot of low hanging fruit, but we, and this is not, I'm not the originator of the solder statement, but there's, there's the fruit and there's the root. Hmm. We could sit here and hang out low hanging fruit, but I think if we just continue with the root of where they are and what they're going through, those things will come and go. So maybe don't make it about the cell phone. Maybe try to make it about something else in a greater capacity. How you doing? How are you feeling? And I think if we go deeper instead of just staying surface, I think a lot of things will change with that. That takes time, though. Yeah. It takes energy, though. And it takes us as parents being sacrificial to prioritize that. And so for me, and this may be right or wrong, and I submit this to you, I don't want to just be as a parent focused on what I see exteriorly. Because I could be missing the heart of that child. Yeah. I want to make sure that I'm prioritizing them as a person, validating them, and then, hey, moving along, hey, let's put that down for a moment. Yeah. But I want to touch their hearts. And I think if we can get back to touching each other's hearts, the root of stuff, then those, some of those fruit things can, can adjust. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a priority thing. And the interesting thing, something I learned that taught me a lot in life is I started to feel overwhelmed. Now I don't have time for this, and I don't know how these people have all this time. And then somebody mentioned to me, uh, the simple fact that every person in life has exactly the same number of hours a day. That's right. And that person that you think has their act together, uh, how do they do? How do they have the time for all of that? Well, they have the same time as you. They do. And, and Scott, in some ways, you're evolving. You're changing. I'm growing. I'm evolving. What about with our children not staying stuck where it was, but trying to navigate where they are and yeah. learn their language, what their interests are? You know, I got some of my sons are creative, and so we'll go to thrift shops. They're in the music. They're, they're, so I want to find their lane, too. Right. And navigate that. Yeah. So I think about being a parent is not just, you know, we can be so stoic or out of date. Let's try and stay current. That's not curse at all, right? Because right. our parents want to do that to us. Let's, Every generation yeah, does. You know, let's redeem it. Do it. The, I like that the Bible says, yeah. you know, redeem the time yeah. and redeem the day. And God's redemptive and God is current. So I think maybe a different mindset is not just what's wrong, but maybe right. what's right. And then we can have time to adjust those things. And I think my kids, if they had the mic, would maybe say too that, 
the examples of parents is big. I think if we live it, you know, we do it, then say it, it's powerful instead yeah. of just saying something and not doing it. We are the, the living epistle, as Scripture says, and I just wanted to be that. I wanted to be the dad and the, and the, and the family that they want. So. Your kids uh, think it's okay that you take them to school, or is that weird now? They'll like it later. I know. I know. I'm struggling, Scott. I need what, what help. What about I your 20-year-old? Do, yeah. do you take him to work? Because that's yeah. weird. Yeah, that is weird. No, I'm kidding about well, that. Well, but with gas prices down, they probably yeah, like right. that, right? No, it's great, you know? <laughs> yeah, they do. But yeah. you know what? I, I've realized, too, and I'll, maybe this will help uh, in, in just having experience. Kids are like a boomerang. Sometimes they feel like they're leaving you, but they'll always come back. you got to be patient as a parent because they may be in different seasons where you feel like they're detached, but mm-hmm. it's a, it will come back to you. Yeah. And if I just stay consistent and stay available... That'll change. That's so. right. And keep praying for them. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I am with Pastor Matthew Pollock. He is the pastor of the Way Family Church in Marietta, California. And he's got a new program on KKLA in Los Angeles, Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. and also Sunday at 3 p.m. every weekend. So you were talking about your move into ministry. You felt the call of the Lord to go into ministry at 19. You went to Bible college. Where did that take you from there? Like anything, it was just very progressive, one foot in front of the next, trying to be faithful. I love that thought, and I think God leads us so much, like in Deuteronomy 7.22, little by little. Yeah, It's it's a progressive step. So just... Did he uh, keep you in California, or did you leave for a while? I mean, what happened in the course of your ministry that ended you up? You, you were in San Juan Capistrano. You moved to Temecula with your family. Were you always in Temecula, or did you leave? Went to Temecula, then I went out to, to Baba College in, in Texas. Texas, Lamar, okay. Lamar, Texas, just by the Galveston Bay. And then my wife and I, our young family, in 2004, left. Where'd you meet your wife? Um, we met in church. In Texas? Yeah. No, in California. In California, okay. Yeah. All right, so she went with you to Texas. And then, uh, no, yeah, in Texas, and then in church in California. Then in 2004, we went out to Casper, Wyoming, and Pioneer Church out there. Okay. And then, and then came back to California to help with a senior leader of our life. And then that was what planted us in Temecula. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, even Joseph had a dream that he got lost on. I think a lot of our, a lot of our journey with God isn't just this clear red, it's just following him and navigating all that. And I think at the end of the day, if we stay faithful, we'll end up where God wants us in that destination. Yeah. I think that that's, that's true. And he brought you back home. That doesn't always happen. If you call uh, Temecula home, which I suppose you do, Marietta. Um, tell us about your show. Your show's Saturdays at 8.30 p.m., Sundays at 3. Is it the same program or two different shows? It is the same program. We're, we're thrilled, honored to be on here. Yeah. And it's well, neat welcome how, to the family. Yeah, thank you for having us. Um, it's neat how it all transpired, very organic. i got to be honest, being on the radio was really off our radar, and it kind of just came to us, and that opportunity opened up. So we're new on here, and I just want to want to be who we are, bring, uh, create a, a fresh appetite to encourage the believers out there, bring them back to God's Word and revive their hearts. I think with all that we've been through, maybe things have lost their reviving. Mm-hmm. And I just believe God is at work. It's like we're in a special day. We can curse it or we can embrace it. And it is a great day to be alive. And God still has a plan. He's still at work. And just want to bring a fresh aspect um, so we're honored to be here, and it's the Way of Truth, as you mentioned, already mentioned, Saturday at 8.30, Sunday at 3 p.m., and those are uh, messages that, 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 that are preached at our local church and shared on the air. All right. Well, we're excited to have you here as part of our family, and, uh, you know, I think you're, you're right that it's a great message that 
we realize that we're here on purpose, that this weird time that we're living in, it's not an accident that God put us here during this weird time. We're, we're built to handle it. That's right. The church today is going to do fine, and I'm really glad that you are a part of that, that you see that moving forward. If you want to connect with Pastor Matthew Pollock, go to thewayfamilychurch.com. Thewayfamilychurch.com is the website of the church where he's the pastor at in, in Marietta. If you're looking for a church in Marietta, I want you to check it out, thewayfamilychurch.com. And his program here on KKLA is available online or over the air, uh, The Way, Tr- Way of Truth with Matthew Pollock, Saturday at 8.30 p.m., Sunday at 3 p.m. Matthew, thanks for being with us in Southern California Live. Yeah, my great pleasure. All Thank right. you. God bless you. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. We'll be back in just a moment as the Monday edition of SoCal Live continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Great to be with you. I'm Scott Furrow, and my guest is Pastor Greg Laurie, the senior pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Southern California. He's the author of more than 70 books, 70 including his recent book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, The Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. Great book. And another book that we're going to talk about today, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, which has been made into a movie documentary, which is in theaters December 5th, 6th, and 7th this year. And uh, I'm excited about this movie. Uh, Pastor Pastor Greg Laurie, welcome to Southern California Live. Scott, thanks for having me. Good to be here. It's great to have you again on the show. Yes. And to be here with you in person. Yeah. And uh, Last time it was on the phone, so it's good to see you. Yes, yeah, good to see you again. And uh, <laughs> you look exactly the same as the last time I saw you. Well, I'll... Take that as a compliment, sort of. But it was in the last century. The good thing about you, going bald is you just kind of look the same all the time, you know? Just. <laughs> you wrote a book called The Redemption of an American Icon about Johnny Cash. And uh, there's a movie that's been made about this, a documentary. It'll be in theaters December 5, 6, and 7, December 5th, 6th, and 7th. And uh, you can go to harvest.org to get information about that movie. Yeah, if you go to harvest.org slash tickets... That's where okay. you can get your tickets for Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. You've written a lot about the spiritual walks of some famous people, musicians in in particular. Why do, why do their stories impact us so so much? Well, these musicians, you know, they, they provide the soundtrack for our lives. Uh, we can often mark moments and memories through a song that was playing at that time. And they have this extraordinary ability and gift. Uh, to create this wonderful art that we all enjoy. And Johnny Cash is someone that I remember from my earliest days. You know, my mother was kind of a wild child, and she was married and divorced seven times, and she would leave me in various places. I went to military school for a while, and I also spent time living with my grandparents, who originally were from Arkansas. And so we would sit around the television set and watch a Johnny Cash show. And whenever Johnny would get in trouble, and he did have some run-ins with the law back then, my grandfather would say to his wife, Stella, that we called Mama Stella, he'd say, Stella, your cousin's in trouble again. And my thought was, wait, I'm related to Johnny Cash? So, yeah, I'm distantly related to him because my grandmother, her name was uh, Stella Fowler Cash. So, and she was from the same area in Arkansas. So I'm a distant relative of Johnny, but that's not why I wrote a book about him. Wrote a book about him because he's just a, he's a classic American figure. 
the very timber of his voice. There was no one like Johnny Cash. And I think that he transcended country music. He just was Johnny Cash. Uh, People in rock and roll liked him. People in country liked him. Music liked him. People just connected to him. And he was a flawed guy by his own admission. He fell short. He struggled with addiction to drugs that he started taking when he was getting on the road. He was he broke out with Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Perkins. Uh, they all recorded at Sun Records, and he had his first measure of success. And, and then at one point, he was like the number one artist in the world. He had a decline in some middle years and then made a massive comeback. But the thing that a lot of people don't know about Johnny Cash, because he's sort of as this rebel figure, the man in black, he's called the godfather of cool. Hey, add to that list follower of Jesus Christ. He was raised in the church. He always believed. He strayed at times, but he returned to the Lord. And so this movie, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, is an exploration of his spiritual life. We deal with his strengths, his weaknesses, his his falls, how his comebacks, and show how God worked through his life. And I think it'll be very, it'll give hope to people who have stumbled and fallen and feel like there's no second chances for them. Johnny Cash's life shows God gives second chances. I think a lot of people relate to him, and they need to hear that hope. You know, a few years ago, there was a movie called uh, Walk the Line about Johnny Cash. It's a good movie, but I, I noticed in the movie, and I was disappointed, that they barely brush upon his spiritual renewal. And I always thought they didn't really go as deep as they could have into his despair, and they did not go deep at all into his salvation and his relationship through Christ. I think this movie is going to really fill in that gap, too, for people maybe who have seen that or maybe that's their only understanding of his life. Yes. So I wrote a book with the same title as the film, Johnny Cash, Redemption of an American Icon. And we interviewed the sister of Johnny Cash. And she told us that she thought this would have been Johnny's favorite book because you know, documentaries and books about Cash explore his rebel side, explore his bad decisions, but they don't make enough out of his faith and how important it was to him. I think June Carter literally saved Johnny's life. Yes. You know, if it wasn't for her, he probably would have died of a drug overdose. He could have ended up like his friend Elvis Presley very easily. But Johnny made it to the age of 70. Sadly, he didn't live longer Because some of those decisions he made still took a toll on his life physically, though God forgave him. But we have some amazing uh, artists that were interviewed in this film. Sheryl Crow, Tim McGraw. Uh, We have Marty Stewart. We have John Carter Cash, who is Johnny's son. And so we have a lot of folks chiming in, telling you about his life and his spiritual life when Nona Judd is in it as well, talking about how they knew that the faith of Cash was real. You know, it's a funny thing. To sinners, Cash was a saint. But to saints, he was sometimes thought as a, thought of as a sinner. The reality, he was both. He was a sinner, admittedly so, but he was a saintly man, a godly man who loved the Bible. When he was at the pinnacle of his fame, Scott, on his television show, he wanted to talk about Jesus. He had gospel singers, gospel songs. He even brought Billy Graham on his show. And the people that were running the show didn't like that one bit. Right. And then after the show canceled because they didn't like a stand for Christ, he went out and took that 
that notoriety that he had, and he made a film about Jesus called The Gospel Road. So Johnny was very upfront about his faith in Christ. It was never a secret. You're listening to Southern California Live. My guest is Pastor Greg Laurie, and he is the author of a book, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, which has been made into a movie documentary, which will be in theaters December 5, 6, and 7. You know, I think people listening should know something else. If you're a grandparent or maybe you're a parent and you're you're thinking, you know, my kids might get something out of this, but I don't know if they know who Johnny Cash is. The truth is, maybe you don't realize this, but your kids probably do know who Johnny Cash is or they know his music because it's played a lot in the current social media. I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a whole big thing, Ring of Fire, and people doing silly things during it. But his music is very current. Yeah, it transcends time. Yes. Johnny Cash is an icon. Not everybody is an icon. Right. There are certain people from days gone by that are largely forgotten. You know, we don't hear a lot about Clark Gable or Alan Ladd or others that were very popular in their day. But certain people transcend time. Elvis Presley is one. Marilyn Monroe is another. Steve McQueen would be even another. And Johnny Cash. He's timeless. And new generations discover him. And so to young kids, they see him as a cool guy. I mean, there are people that get tattoos of Johnny Cash, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, he is someone that is just kind of always there, even though he's been gone for a time. And his music is still there. And it just keeps being played over and over again. Like I said, new, new generations discover him. I think young people will love this film as we follow his life in real time. I think older folks will love it as well. But I'm using Johnny's life as sort of a testimony. You know, one of the most effective evangelistic tools we have is our personal story. Tell people how we came to Christ. Well, I'm taking the testimony of cash and using it to tell a bigger story, the story of Jesus and how Jesus can redeem people and transform people and deliver people from addiction and and forgive them after they've made big mistakes. And Johnny made many. He he was heartbroken over the failure of his first marriage and, and all the problems it caused for him and his children and his wife and, and so forth. But God forgave him and gave him second chances. And, and that's the takeaway truth of this film. It's very entertaining film, beautifully done. And uh, I think people are going to love it. It's a fathom event. So it'll be in theaters nationwide. So see if it's in a theater near you. And at the end, I'm going to do a gospel presentation. And I will even have a prayer. A person could pray where they would ask Christ to come into their life. So if you want to get tickets, you go to harvest.org slash tickets. And hopefully you can bring someone with you that does not yet know the Lord to see Johnny Cash, the redemption of an American icon at a theater near you. This is another great opportunity to bring the people that God has placed in your relational world to to a great movie. I've, I've seen the trailer. I'm excited about seeing it, right? And I'm thinking about my neighbors who we've been blessed. We just moved three months ago, and we're blessed to know our neighbors pretty well, actually. Kids playing together. We've eaten dinner together. And Christy and I just think this is God doing something just in our little neighborhood uh, with us. And this is another opportunity to, to do this. I think I'm going to play some Johnny Cash music real loud, see who responds. There you go. Yeah, in, in the neighbor. What's your favorite Johnny Cash song? Oh, my. Uh, I like so many. Of course, I like Ring of Fire, Walk yeah. the Line. But uh, I think my favorite Cash songs are the ones he did later in his career. Mm. I love The Man Comes Around. I love Rusty Cage. Um, there's so many 
that it was like toward the end of his life and as he got more sick and even had trouble breathing, I still thought those songs were so powerful. Rick Rubin, who produced him in that later phase of his career, just stripped it down and got back to Johnny and his guitar with a little bit of production and other things that Rick added so artistically, so effectively. But but I guess if I pick one song, it would... Well, Hurt was amazing, too. That was made into a video. Yes. But I love The Man Comes Around. It's a great song. And you're right. The, his, right up to the end, there's something about his ability to... Just the way he speaks in his songs, yeah. you can't help but listen. And yeah. they're so simple and so meaningful. And I think that is a reflection of his life and what Jesus did in his life and is still doing with his story, thanks to this movie. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, he sort of was the voice of America. You know, yeah. he just sounded Amer- so American the way he spoke. Chris Christopherson said Johnny Cash was like Abraham Lincoln with a wild side. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great explanation yes. of Johnny Cash. Well, I thank you for doing this movie. I think it's going to impact a lot of people for the gospel. I think people are... We've gone through a period in time in our our country, we're going through it, where there's so much of a lack of hope and so much um, sense, a sense of despair. And I think people have a personal despair where there's no room for it to express this is a great movie to let people know uh, that God loves you. Yes. And I think that, you know, telling stories like this is a great way to reach people because there's people you know that might never go to church with you, even if you ask them. Right. But if you say, hey, I got tickets for this cash documentary, let's go, they may do that. Yep. You know, they can get their popcorn and milk dots or whatever they like to eat and take their seat, and it's going to tell the story of Johnny in real time. But when we get to that part where his faith kicks in, that is there front and center without apology. And then at the end, we, we really bring it home and tell people how to come into a relationship with God. So... This would be a great way to reach your friends and neighbors. The movie is called Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and it'll be a in theaters December 5th, 6th, and 7th. You can get tickets at harvest.org slash tickets. That's right. Harvest.org slash tickets. Uh, Pastor Greg, thank you for joining me thank today you. on Southern California Live. It's always a pleasure to have you, and thank you for My everything pleasure. that you you are doing. And thanks for doing these stories. I love the music stories uh, that you've been able to tell. I think they're inspiring a lot of people. Thanks very much. Yeah, Appreciate thank you that. very much. Everybody, stay with us. I'm Scott Furrow, and I'll be right back as Southern California Live continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.